Is there such thing as too much wind with duck hunting, Chris Aiken? I don't think so. You like you you don't think it could blow too hard? No, I don't think so. I mean, man, we've even had days in the timber when the wind blowing 25, 30 mile an hour and killed them in there, which is amazing to me. But we've done it in the wind like that. Yeah, I'd say that I'd like that's as high as I would want it to get right oh, there. Yeah, I, don't... I won't even be out there, but I'm scared of being in the woods. Winds more than that, just from trees and limbs and dead stuff falling out. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And then you start covering that sky up with storm clouds and thunder and lightning. I'm out of the woods in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's what I want to do today on the Yukonuba Duck Dogs podcast. We got Chris Aiken with Webfooted Kennels, Arkansas. Um, end of duck season, like you have dogs that I'm sure pick up hundreds and hundreds of birds. I have a dog that picked up 2,000 birds this year, and I, and I hunted hard, 120 days. Um, he's still ready to go, right? But he's back in training. I want to talk to the audience today, Chris, about, uh, you know, right when that season ends, not so much in the heat of the summer training, but right when that summer ends, is there a rest period? How long is this rest period? Let's just take the audience and the listening crew through, you know, what happens at the end of that duck season? Does that dog deserve a few weeks off like a baseball player would take after the World Series? Or do we stay on the training regimen right away? What are, let's go through some of the protocol with that. So duck season ends. We know that we're not going to go spring snow goose hunting. The dogs picked up hundreds and hundreds of birds and all kinds of element. What's the first thing that we think about? Well, I, just, I always think about the dog's age and experience level. If the dog is a little bit older dog, uh, been there, done that kind of guy, I'm not going to just throw him right back in the mix. I am going to give him some time off, let him recover, maybe gain a few pounds back and kind of rebuild everything and, and uh, let him get some rest. If it is a young dog, I literally uh, will go right out of the blind and put him right back in the kennel and go right back to work. I think on the last weekend of duck season, we checked 25 dogs in here uh, you know, people that are from out of state, out of town that were that hunting in the area and they brought their dogs back and dropped them off. We went right back to work with them uh, on Monday morning. And so, uh, you know, we went right back at it. Now, these, like I say, these older dogs, uh, we even had some that just now got back today uh, from after duck season that are some of our national level dogs and grand champions and all that. But those guys are going to come back in. They're going to snap back in the spot real quick. But the main thing, you don't need to leave them out so long that they start losing their muscle tone and losing being in shape and all that. Like, you know, uh, you know, you know how these athletes are like these professional baseball players, they may be off, but they're not practicing every day on the field, but those guys are still in the gym every day and they're still doing their cardio and keep it in shape. And so we, we don't want to lose any of that. Uh, I wouldn't say that we're really teaching those dogs anything new. Uh, we're just, you know, keeping them sharp and uh, keeping them in physical and mental shape and ready for the upcoming season. And does the, does the, when you, when you talk about the age with, you know, like a, a four-year-old as opposed to a seven-year-old or what age difference are you talking about? What age does that dog become to where he's considered maybe I'm going to give him a couple, a couple weeks off or whatever I, it is. I'm going to say in the four to five year range. I mean, I think that's the prime of a dog's life. That four or five year old, that's, you know, that's that old pair of gloves, that old pair of boots just fit just right. 
been there and done that models. Uh, you know, they, they're very experienced. They're, they're, they've been, they've done a lot of training. Uh, those dogs may not need quite as much as, as some of the younger guys do. They're still uh, in their education and still being and polished into what we want them to be. So that, so you just said that a four or five year old dog is in the prime. Now, is that hunting prime or is that just the prime of their life or is that the best they're going to get? And then I want you to uh, compare that with the hunt test game or getting a dog, you know, getting a dog uh, certified or qualified and all the ribbons that come with all of the hunt tests, the field trials, all that stuff. When is a prime, when is a dog in his or her prime in that game as well? You know, I think that I think that most dogs are really, and every dog's a little different. They mature different, but I think what you're going to see is the most success that comes from a dog that's four to five years old, no matter if it's a field trial game or the hunt test game, either one. And then once we bump up into the the you know the, the more major stakes, like we're talking about the Grand or the National or you know the Open, whatever. I think you're going to be talking about, you know, four to five-year-old dogs, six-year-old dogs, seven-year-old dogs that do well. I think the average age of a dog at the Grand Passing is around five and a half. And I think the average dog at the Nationals is more like six and a half. And I, I think there's not really a, uh, I, I think there's, there's a, a lot of dogs that pass as two-year-olds, as three-year-olds, but there's a lot more of those eight and nine year olds. And, and hey, they're just like, that reminds me of deer. You know, if we all had to hunt one and two year old deer, we'd all kill deer uh, all the time, a lot of hunts. But if we had to hunt five, six, seven, eight year old deer all the time, there's a lot of us who would kill a deer. And there's very few people who have killed a five, six, seven, eight year old white tailed deer. And, and the deal is because those dogs, those deer are savvy, they're smart, been there, done that. They, they prove themselves, they know how to survive, they know how to do it, and these dogs are no different. Uh, when they get to that four or five, six-year-old, you're not going to trick them, you're not going to fool them. They know their job, they've been there, they have the experience, they have the time in the field. And let's face it, Chad, you know, like with me, we hunt out of boats every day, and we're there at the lodge, we come out the back door, we walk down to the boat dock, uh, we get in the boat, those four or five-year-old dogs, they go straight to their spot in the boat, they sit right down, we go all the way to the blind, they everybody unloads into the blind uh, they the dog still stays there sitting in spot everybody you know gets out we push the boat over and the dog jumps right into his spot he's there the entire hunt he never bothers us he never messes with us we we pick up all the ducks uh we come back we start on you know we start loading the boat up he goes straight to his spot back to the lodge and the deal is those i've never even said anything to the dog except his name to send him on retreats it's just a been there, done that model. And, and I think that comes from experience of those day in, day out hunts. And like you're talking about that dog that you hunted this year, picked up 2,000 birds. I mean, that's incredible. That's more birds than most dogs pick up in their entire lifetime. So that would definitely be no matter what that dog's age. That's a been there, done that kind of dog. And he understands whether it's layout blinds or timber stands or he's out of a boat or today he's out of Argo tomorrow, hunting out of a ranger tomorrow, or if he's getting right out of the truck, getting in a in a goose blind. I mean, he he's just he's got that experience to the point where you and I don't have to be as much of a dog handler and we can pay attention to more to the to the hunt itself uh, than the dog because the dog's just kind of self-sufficient. And don't you don't you think that comes as a four, five, six-year-old dog? 
Yeah, I, I just heard some ramblings the other the other day. I heard some guys talking that in the hunt test game that the prime's going to be seven to eight, and that that's when they're really going to be at their a game of intelligence of being able to to really um, you know take that task on of passing that style of test. Now in the hunt game, like in the last when you said four or five, I mean that's when I've seen my dogs Axel especially you know, be at the top of his game. And he's now he's six years old. It's not like he's going anywhere. So I don't really, I'm just trying to figure out what prime means. And I guess if, if somebody said, Chris, you get one year of this dog's life to hunt and it's going to be the best year. Are you going to say, okay, I want him when he's four or five or six, or is he starting to slow down too much when he's seven? That's kind of, is that what you mean by prime? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think about a, se- a seven-year-old it, it was fine with me. My, my, one of my personal dogs it turns 11 this month and he kind of handled everything we did this year, uh, hunting wise. Uh, but you know, the deal is what I do find with my personal hunting dogs and a lot of people, all my buddies at hunt, when we tip that eight year old mark, we start losing a little bit of hearing, you know, these dogs around here hunt out these steel pits all the time. They got those shotguns right over their head. That pit's pretty, uh, pretty damaging on the dog's ears along with ours. It's the same reason I can't hear anything today. But these this these dogs start losing their hearing at eight, nine years old pretty quick. Uh, a lot of them on the dogs that hunt a lot, you know. Um, and, and so I start kind of thinking a little bit about that because we don't have the same performance in the field as at hunt test with an eight, nine-year-old dog, not because they can't mark, not because they can't run a blind, but because they can't hear us. You know, it's one thing for a dog to hear us in a pasture, you know, or, or on land. But when you get in some of this, like you get the grand, they're notorious for using shallow water. What we call splishy, splashy water, where the dog's, you know, belly deep or maybe just a little bit more. And you got to have a dog that can hear through him blasting through that water after the, on the way to the bird. You got to have a dog can hear that. And a dog that loses any of his hearing during that time, he's not going to be able to hear you. And that's going to cause you to have problems at the hunt test for sure. Well, that's a great point. So here, that's a great point as far as hearing goes when it comes to the whistle. And then after the whistle, you're talking about um, when you're casting and your commands, the dog's having a hard time hearing all of that, the whistle included. Yeah. And then let's start talking about eyesight too. I mean, I don't know about you, Chad. I'm I'm 55 years old, and I'm having to wear readers, you know, every day, uh, you know, up close. And so I think as we mature our eyes, I think it's pretty well known that you know males getting their 40 year old, 40 year range, they use certain size readers, 45 to 50 another size, 50 to 55 another size. And so I think the dogs have got to be the same way when we start talking about distances. And let's face it, when you throw a duck against a tree line at 300 yards, or 250 or whatever the case may be on whatever you know, you're, you're doing there, uh, you've got to have pretty good peepers to see that. And, uh, and if you have any loss of vision whatsoever, you're going to have troubles. And I mean, you know, a mark is a mark. They have to see the thing in order to go get it. I'm sitting here looking at a picture right now of a dog. It's a grand champion master hunter dog named Emma. Uh, one of my favorite dogs, and actually the mother to to my my new dog, uh, Cowboy, and she started losing her her vision at about seven years old on the long bird. And she can do anything you want to inside 100, 125, but you get past that, it gets really tough. And then it depends on what time of year it is. 
if there's really good foliage on the trees, she can see them really good against the foliage, you know, the leaves and everything. But if it's like this time of year, there's no leaves. When you throw a bird against it, she couldn't see it. And it's just, it's just the way her eyes were made up and the way she is. And so, but she started losing all that at like seven years old. And so we, you know, she's, she's got two national passes and, and a grand champion. And we just kind of, you know, we just kind of quit running her simply because uh, of her eyesight. We knew that it would affect us uh, in her performance and her pass ratio because it, we just, we let her end on a, on a high note of, you know, doing what all she had done, all her accomplishments. She's, you know, qualified all age and, and all that. She, she did have a heck of a career and uh, we let her in, let her go out winning. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you start talking about a heck of a career, Aiken, what is the best career that you've personally witnessed with in your training career in your kennel? What's the best? I mean, you have, you've had slick, you've had some amazing dogs come through Webfoot kennels. Um, I don't care necessarily about your personal favorite, but what is, I don't, I'm not saying I don't care. I'm asking more so of the finest career that you've witnessed of a dog. You know, I would have to say, uh, I would say probably, probably my dog Banjo that I had, uh, he was, uh, he, he was, that was a cold blue dog, uh, most, most talented dog I've ever petted probably. Um, the dog was a grand champion. He was a master hunter. He passed the only nationals I ever ran him in. Uh, he was qualified all age at a very young age. And, uh, and he was also, uh, one super retriever series. Uh, he was, he placed in about every SRS he ever ran. I mean, he was a very, very talented dog. And, and I think not only that, you know, we talk about all the titles, not real easy to, to document in the show, but you know, he was also just such a great pet and house dog and, and very serious duck dog. And uh, there was, you know, there was two or three of us that hunted him uh, through his career. Uh, and, you know, Kevin Mays, a buddy of mine, and he hunted all over the country, killed a lot of birds. And I let him hunt banjo one year, Scott House. Uh, he had a, a huge duck club down in Cherry Valley, and they slayed the birds. I let him hunt him one year when his dog was hurt. And uh, that dog just didn't care who was there, whatever. You know, you talk about Slick a minute ago. You know, Slick was hunted by that same kind of deal. Lots of us. Uh, you know, Rob Watts hunted that dog one year. Adam Larry hunted him. Christian Curtis hunted him. I hunted him. I mean, that dog went on hunts with Al Arthur. I mean, a lot of different handlers, and they were in a lot of different scenarios. All the stories that we had uh, still came back were, were fantastic about him and then not only that, that that dog was you know also a great house pet and companion and and those two dogs also were good uh they were really good sires they've thrown a lot of great puppies as well uh, you know i've got a another dog it's a grand champion master hunter hall of fame uh qualified all age named finn that was out of slick and he's he had a great career and then you know, we just we've had some really, really good dogs through the years that uh, that had all the titles to prove who they were. But I mean, I just knew them in a duck in a duck blind. I knew them, uh, you know, personally. You know, of course, Boomer, Boomer won a great outdoor games, Super Retriever Series, Grand Champion, Master Hunter. I think Boomer, when we put him to sleep, I think he had broke twenty thousand birds in his career retrieving. Um, his time and in my time, it was pretty good on high volume killing when I hunted with uh, large groups all the time. And so he was a, he was a wonderful dog too. So I had, I've had a lot of great dogs through the years that, 
I've got to be part of, and, and uh, I mean, I'm not even mentioning all the client dogs I can tell you all the stories about, but but those are some that come up mind that I had for sure. Wow. Yeah, you bring back Boomer. What a freaking dog Boomer was. I don't oh, know. He was a beast. He was, you know, he was not only a beast, but he was a great, just, I mean, uh, unbelievable pet and unbelievable duck dog and, and very married to me. And, and uh, he was just an extension of me. I mean, that dog was with me every day for 10 years of his life. And uh, I, uh, Shannon put up a, a video the other night of kind of a memories on Facebook. And then she put up from back in 2003. And my wife and I were laying in bed and I clicked on it to watch it. And I watched about 30 seconds of it. <clears throat> and my wife was bawling and said, turn it off. I can't watch it anymore. And uh, Man, it's still hard. It's been a long time. It's been a long time since you has gone. I'm, I'm having a hard time talking about it right now. But it's, uh, so, man, I get deep in your heart, that's for sure. Yeah, I think that's the best part about it, though, is that when you get a dog that becomes that extension of you, like, I, sometimes I feel bad because I don't have the same love for every dog that I have for that dog that you're talking about right now. Like I have Axel and like, he's my boomer, right? Like he's, if he's not in training, he's everywhere with me. And, but there's other dogs that I don't have that, man, I got to cuddle with them. I got to pet them all the time. I got to have them in the front seat riding shotgun. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you have that, but there's just certain dogs. It's almost like relationships. You don't click with everybody, right? Absolutely. I mean, Finn's laying here on the floor right now. And he, he goes wherever I go, and he, I really don't have a choice. He, he might, if I get up in the morning, he's standing at the door, and if I go to the front door, he's already beat me there. And if I go to my truck, he goes to the back, back seat, the, you know, the back door of the, of the crew cab, and he's, he's going with me, and he's not really giving me a whole lot of opportunity not to take, me, not to take him with me. And uh, I know you're the same way I am. I've probably burned, I'm going to say, 10,000 gallons of diesel in my truck, let them run at restaurants and sporting goods stores and, and convenience stores and all points in between because my dog's in the backseat of my truck 24 seven. Yep. I love that. I love, there's not a better life in the world. I, I understand there's other breeds of dogs, but I absolutely love the life of a, with a duck dog. Um, back to what I started with now, when you come off of that season, you're the one that kind of taught me about once a day, feeding we just came from a seminar to where you know there was a lot of questions of how many times a day do you feed a dog when that dog comes off a of duck season and he's been burning those calories like crazy every single day in the elements it's cold outside um we start do we do we start to think about changing his feeding schedule for a little bit to get him acclimated or put put those few pounds back on him that you talked about or do you consistently feed every dog one time in the afternoon I only feed one time a day, and if I need to adjust their weight or so, we adjust it by the amount of feed that we feed. And look, it doesn't take much. Uh, any animal is pretty is, is pretty easy to put weight on or take weight off. Uh, it's all just about their diet. And so, you know, you, we we of course we feed you can over thirty twenty, and it is a it is an incredible uh, food to keep weight on dogs in in high energy workloads. And so, you know, through duck season, our dogs really don't thin up that much like they used to back in the day when we fed, you know, a, a less quality dog food. 
And so we really, if we if they're down, they're down three or four pounds or two or three pounds at the most. So you can add extra half a cup or three quarters of a cup and you can have that weight on still come right back on them really quick, especially if you're not working as hard um, in your training. Because, you know, Chad, not everybody, you know, everybody, they go hunting and they kill a handful of ducks and that's not burning a whole lot of energy. But, you know, they're in high volume hunting places where they're killing 36, 42 ducks a day. You know, that dog may lose a little bit of weight, especially if it's in a lot of swimming or a lot of current. Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, for the average dog, they're not picking up that many birds, and so they're not going to lose that much weight. But when we get back into training, we just adjust their weight according uh, by the food, and we just, you know, hold them at, hold them at a, a healthy weight. We don't want to see them too thin. We don't want to see them uh, too heavy. We want to keep it just right. You know, we just like we can't see their ribs or any bones on their, in their you know, back on their butt. And then, uh, and then they that way they look fit, and they're not having to carry any extra weight on their shoulders or hips or elbows or any of that. Okay, so once a day feeding, adjust the feed not by the number of feeding times per day, just the amount of food is what you're saying is how how you yeah. adjust it. Okay, Absolutely. So- look, and there's lots of arguments on feeding twice a day, once a day. I do it once a day. And I, I have some theories on why I do it. We've been doing it that way for a long time. It's worked out. But some of the highlight reels are is I don't like a dog having a lot of exercise after they've eaten. So if you feed them before the hunt, I think that's detrimental. Uh, if you feed them after the hunt, that could be as late as 12 or 1 o'clock. So I don't think that – I think that's detrimental uh, with trying to be consistent. I think if you feed them in the mornings – spring summer and fall i think that a dog's body when it takes in food it has to digest it i think that causes their body temperature to go up maybe just one or two points and if you're in the south uh, and you're training i think one or two points could be enough to get your dog into trouble uh in the summertime i mean the humidity and the heat here and of course we're training during that time and we don't need that dog running any warmer than what he needs to be. So we feed in the evenings around five o'clock. Uh, the temperature's starting to go down. Uh, you know, the dogs are done for the day. They're tired, they're ready to take a nap, ready to take a break. So we feed them up. Since we get done feeding, we let them out, they air, they get all that done. And then we put them back in the kennel and they're done for the evening. So they're not gonna be doing any real high you know, activity. Uh, they're not going to be, um, you know, running around. We get, you know, problems with bloat or their stomach flipping or any of that kind of stuff. And those are the kind of things I worry about with, with working on a full stomach. And, uh, and then, of course, you know, it's as cool as it can be uh, during the day, that time of year. And so, uh, you know, we're not really worried about their temperature going up just a little bit. So when you start, when you start talking about that thermal temp and, and, the, and the body temperature going up, um, guys that aren't as qualified as you or your trainers or the, the group of people that we just left at the Yukonuba Summit, which was an awesome event. Thank you, Yukonuba. Um, what can I look for, Chris, when I'm, when I'm training as it starts to go from lows in the 20s and 30s and highs in the high 40s to low 50s? I mean, we're going to start getting up into, you know, lows in the 40s, low 50s, and then highs in the 75, 85, 90 degree Um, obviously time of day is a big part of it, right? Um, depending on the location of the country you're in, but when it specifically comes to signs, am I looking for the tongue hanging out of the mouth? Am I looking for panting? Am I look, what am I looking for that that dog is in trouble? 
I think the tongue and the panting are your biggest two telltale signs. When that tongue comes out the side and gets really wide, I'm done. Uh, look, there's not a mark. There's not a blind. There's not anything you could train that dog to do that's more important than keeping that dog alive. Okay. There, I don't, I don't care how good he, you think you can teach that mark. If you kill him, then it's no good anyway. So watch that tongue. And when that tongue comes outside, and look, I saw a dog yesterday. Here we are around here in bibs and coats. And I saw a dog yesterday when we got done the setup, his tongue was out the side. It was already getting flared out. And, uh, you know, even this time of year. So don't discount that you could do this even in, in cooler temperatures. But you, you just got to watch that dog and, and read the signs that he's telling you. And look, when in doubt, do without. That's what I tell my guys. When in doubt, do without. If you think, hey, I got one more mark to do and I'll be done, but this dog's kind of iffy, the heck with that mark. The heck with that blind. Uh, tie him out to the trailer and 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 let him catch his breath, come back and do him at the end. He'll be, he'll be he's, he's caught back up. Now, he will get hotter quicker. Uh, you know, he'll come back up quicker even if you do that. But just let him cool down for a minute and give him a break and come back and do it again in a minute. But, but the other thing is what a lot of people will do when they are training, this is where they really get in trouble. They'll get that dog semi-warm or semi-hot, and then they go back over to their truck or their trailer or whatever, and they'll throw him in a hole. Man, I'm horribly against that, especially around here in the summertime. What we'll do is we've got tie-offs on the bottom of our trailer, and we tie these dogs out to the trailer and, uh, and let them catch their breath, let them get some air, let them roll around in the grass, uh, you know, dry it a little bit, get some of that water off of them. Uh, just let them be a dog. And, and, and not only that, maybe even let them uh, witness what we got going on here and being patient, knowing they're not getting every mark and every blind. And, uh, and I'm not saying they learn anything by that, but they learn to be patient by that. Yeah, but the deal is, same time, they're, they're catching records. You stick them in those, those dog boxes, in the, you know, in the back of your truck with a camper shell on it, or, you know, back of the truck with the sun hitting on it, whatever, uh, your dog can get in some serious trouble where, you know, with tied to the trailer or to the back bumper, uh, you know, to the winch bumper, whatever, on the front, they can get underneath the truck in the shade. They're catching that breeze, if there's any breeze at all blowing through there. And, uh, you know, just getting, a, just, you know, it's just a way safer deal. And then also you can keep your eye on him in case he does get any warmer or hotter, get in trouble. You being out there, you're going to be a whole lot quicker to see him in that scenario than you are, uh, you know, uh, with him over there in the box of the truck or in the trailer. So very, How very important to let that dog air out uh, and catch his breath out of the truck before you put him up. Man, that's a great point because you would think naturally the first thing people are going to think is just let him get in there and lay down. You don't even take into consideration the airflow, the ventilation, the heat that's coming through that camper shell. Like none of that, all of that has to be taken into consideration on uh, what that dog, because the, the thing that we always have to keep in mind is that they can't talk right they they can't tell us like you know you're, you put your daughter back there she'd be like dad it's hot in here but get me out of here right well we got to be thinking on our feet all the time with these dogs and that's why i wanted to get some of these pointers to you when, when you're airing them out and 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 before you put them back in the kennel and let them rest when you say air them out are you saying they don't move they're idle can or do they walk it off like an athlete actually, does do you like we, we, what we have is actually some, some small chain that's about four to five feet long, and they've got swivels on each end, which is very important. 
Uh, I've got D rings on the bottom of my trailer. I hook to it, then I hook to a normal flat uh, flat buckled collar with a swivel on that end as well. And that way, if they roll around the grass or spin around whatever, they don't get twisted up or hung. Those swivels are very important. But you know, I see a lot of amateurs. They'll tie them to their their trailer hitch. Uh, they'll you know hook them to the uh, to the front of their, their winch bumper or their winch. You know whatever they got. You know like we got brush guards. They'll hook all this to it on the front. And uh, and then very important. This sounds horrific, but I'm gonna tell you when you do as an amateur, especially this is where I'm seeing it happen. As an amateur. When you tie that dog to your back bumper or when you tie him to your front bumper, whatever you need to do, I want you to take your truck keys and I want you to put them on the tailgate. I want you to put them on the hood and that'll remind you that your dog's out. One of my favorite dogs I've got out here right now, uh, the guy that owned the dog, uh, he got in, a, got busy and got whatever, forgot about this dog tied to the front bumper. And he, he drove a little ways with the dog and it hurt the dog. It didn't, it was, the dog's a grand champion master hunter. It got two plates right now, but he did hurt the dog through that. And of course he, he felt absolutely horrible, but you know, it just slipped his mind. He was on the phone and he was busy and you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it can happen. Things happen too quick. So do something that reminds you that dog's tied to the truck or to the bumper or to the trailer. So that, you know, like me, every time we get down the setup, every time I do this, before I get in my truck, I get on my hands and knees and I look under my truck and under my trailer. Very, very important. And Chad, on our training grounds here, we have spots mowed out all over this farm with a lawnmower and it looks like a golf course. And those spots are where we park the truck and trailer, where we park the trucks and trailers at. And that way they're in mowed grass and that way I can wear Crocs and not have to worry about, you know, any bugs or snakes or anything like that. But the other thing is I can see those dogs and, and, and we, you know, we run through mode, not mode, not mode, mode, not mode all the time because of this. But I've got all these spots out here mode where you can, you can see these dogs underneath there, but it's, uh, but I'm telling you, you can't be too careful once you tie them out. But I think the benefit of having them tied out outweighs this deal. If you'll just be careful with the dog. So checklists, make sure that you have a checklist of what Chris Aiken's talking about. Things can happen. You remember the scene in the great movie National Lampoon's Vacation when Clark Griswold <laughs> did this with his dog. We don't want that to happen. Um, it's horrifying to think of, of a mistake being made, but it can happen. Safety first, and like what Chris Aiken just alluded to, I don't care about that blind. I don't care about that mark. We have to make sure that we keep that dog alive and healthy first and foremost. Chris, at this age in your life, at this point in your career, you mentioned the year 2003. That was the first year of the outdoor, not, maybe not the first year, but that's when they held it in my hometown of Reno, Nevada. You've been in this game for a minute. You have a ton of dogs that have accomplished a lot. You have a lot of happy clients at Webfoot Kennels. Do you still love it as much as you did in 2003? Do you still love duck season as much as you did in 2003? Are we going to have an unbelievable year in 2023 because your passion is still there? Or are you looking to sell web-footed kennels and get out of this business 100% because you've done had enough? I think that I think the dog world and the bucking world reminds me of being in a game. I think once you get in, you can't get out. Okay. And I just think that your your yourself won't let it because you just end up loving it too much. You know as well as I do, I like duck hunt as much as anybody on earth. 
I've missed one day since I was a junior in high school, and that was uh, November the the second, two thousand and five. When my when my or excuse me, twenty second, uh, November twenty second, two thousand and five, when my son was born, and I had missed another day. Uh, had missed a day since since I was a junior in high school. So I love it. Um, I don't get to hunt as much as you do because you hunt all over the country. I just hunt here in Arkansas uh, for the most part. Uh, but I, I love the hunting, but I think I have changed in the hunting. I think I enjoy going hunting and spending time with my close friends and my family and my dog as much as I like shooting ducks. So I think my passion has swapped a little bit uh, in the reason I go. Used to, I went to kill ducks. Now I go to spend time with my family and friends and, if, and my dog. And if a, if a duck gets in the way, I'm going to shoot him. I'm going to shoot him and I'm going to shoot every one of them I can. Uh, but if they don't, hey, I'm not mad at it. Uh, we'll get them tomorrow. You know what I mean? The dog world, I love it more now than I ever have. Uh, the breedings are so much better. The knowledge from the clients is so much better. Uh, what our clients allow us to do nowadays is so much better. They understand the value of having a dog trained to a high level now, so much more than they did 25 years ago. Um, you know, we, we ran a hunt test this last weekend. We carried 24 dogs on Saturday. We passed 24 out of 24, running off season and finished. We turned around and ran Sunday. Uh, we lost one dog on Sunday. And uh, so we passed 47 out of 48. Uh, oddly enough, the dog that we lost this weekend was one of my personal dogs. And I let one of our assistants run him there. He had never run him before. And they had a great day on Saturday. Didn't have a great day on Sunday. So we're going to blame it on the lack of relationship. Uh, but you don't think I didn't love that to be able to call everybody up and say, hey, we got two passes on your dog this weekend. We had a lot of young dogs run and finish for the first time. Had a lot of young dogs run a season for the first time. Uh, we actually didn't even title but one dog out of that for the whole weekend because we had all newbies. And so we uh, that's pretty exciting stuff, and that's a lot of fun for me uh, to prove what we do and to prove, uh, you know, they're at the right place and, and, and also to showcase our dogs and let other people see what we're doing, you know. So uh, I, I don't think you can ever get out of the dog game once you get in it. Not the people that are truly in it, you know. So once you've been initiated, it's going to be hell on you to get out. <laughs> <laughs> I would think so. I, I've, I've had all these dreams of, of maybe one day retiring or, or whatever, but I can't imagine when – I mean, I've been training for the same people now for 35 years. Uh, I've got people, dogs in training right now, the, 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 some of my first clients I ever had, they've, got, they've still got dogs out here in training. If I told them I quit uh, or I retired, uh, I don't think they'd be real happy with me because they're, you know, let's train me one more. I don't, I don't think they would let me get out. They're like, just train me one more. Training. I can just hear that right now. And so we're, uh, I think we're going to stay with it for quite a while. Now, you know, I've got, a, I've got the best team in the country. And, uh, you know, these guys have been with me a long time and, these guys have a ton of training experience and, and, uh, you know, they know how to get it done and they're hardworking guys. And they, they get after it. And that's, that's really the whole backbone behind the deal is work ethic and knowledge. And, uh, these guys have definitely got it. Uh, I was telling somebody yesterday between three of us, we've got over a hundred years of training, professional training experience. And, uh, that's pretty amazing. 
Wow. Well, good for you, man. I'm glad to be friends with you. I look forward to the future of working with you. Um, Web-Footed Kennels is an absolute staple and iconic brand in the dog training world. Chris Aiken has built it from the ground up. And uh, if you guys want to get a dog trained um, with the exact, I, I guess you would have to say dogs trained that are going to be able to fulfill every dream that you have. That's all I've ever heard talking to Chris Aiken's clients, watching his passion, listening to his passion, and most of First and foremost, his experience in this game speaks for itself. Go do yourself a favor and just look up some of the accolades, the titles. I appreciate you coming on, Chris Aiken. I look forward to seeing you soon, soon again soon, my brother. And uh, keep feeding that Yukonuba, and we will be back in touch. Thank you. All right, my man. I'll be back with you soon. This has been another episode of Yukonuba Duck Dogs Podcast, the Foul Life Podcast, the one and only Chris Aiken out of the great state of Arkansas, web-footed kennels. Y'all check them out when you're in the market. We got to get fresh blood in this game. If your kids are loving dogs, get them out training. Let them go introduce them at a hunt test to Chris Aiken and some of his trainers. We got to get new blood in this game for sure. I'm Chad Belding, the Foul Life Podcast. Thank you, Yukonuba. Thank you, Chris Aiken.